0: Tonight is our last formal meeting. I thought we could all chant together. That metta chant. May all beings without feet receive my love. May all beings with two feet receive my love. May all beings with four feet receive my love. May Receive my love. May all beings without feet do me no harm. May all beings with two feet. That's (laughs) it. <laughs> so simple. But this is how we can bring up that kind of universal love, and then if we meet a spider, or a centipede, or an angry human being, we can contemplate or try to bring up this kind of intention. And we also know that all beings are the owners of their kama. We are all the owners of, of our kama. We all have a particular little bundle that we carry, and we can't say, OK, you take it and I'll take yours. That's just not possible. So if somebody is misbehaving, if somebody is misguided, then we can contemplate, this person is the owner of their kama born of their kamma, related to their kamma, abide supported by their kamma. Whatever kamma, whatever actions that they do, as for them, so for me, of that they are the heirs. So that's a a way of bringing up compassion. If we can't practice metta towards them, if we can't practice compassion towards them. If we can't feel an empathetic joy for someone, instead we're jealous, resentful, and all that. We see them happy and rich and successful, and it doesn't please us because they've done us wrong. If we can't rejoice in the joy of their life, and we can't have equanimity about it, at least we can contemplate, well, whatever harm they have done to me, they are the heirs of that. I don't have to add to it and be the heir of my my actions towards them. If they're unskillful, I will have to also hold that poison in here and somehow clear it. They can't clear mine and I can't clear theirs. And of course, this kind of mental disease, it's not easy to undo what has been done through forgiveness and through awareness and through conscientiousness not to repeat and reenact in those ways, even through attitudes. That's why we chant those sublime attitudes, their sublime abidings, their sublime ways of developing an attitude. But the easiest one is an attitude of gratitude that we can do. Really? Be grateful when someone's mean? Yeah, because it's a teacher. It's a teaching. Okay, now we have a harder teacher, a more challenging teacher, and we can do that in a friendly way, instead of um, being bitter and upset or frightened this painful energy that we're having to experience because we're blaming someone else's action. But we don't know our history, we don't know in past lives many long ago or recently or even this life. We may not remember or we may not remember from long ago what we have done to this particular being, who was in a different form, could have been our mom, could have been our our son, could have been our boss, our relative, anything. Could have been a stray dog that we kicked or mad mistreated. We just don't know. And because we don't know, we have to do the best we can, understanding that, realizing, accepting taking up this, it's true, this is a law of karma. The Buddha is not making up something. These things really have a truth in them. And once we get a handle on that, that can help us to face whatever difficulties arise with wisdom and with a contemplative attitude. So we bring up what supports the way of not picking up the poisons but instead deflecting the anger in the best way we can, or at least preventing a detrimental response, a harmful response, even in the mind. Of course, that takes a lot of mindfulness. There's a very sweet sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya. It's in the Book of Threes three things, and they're easy to remember, one, two, three. There's so much written about how to handle anger. This is a nice simile, and I'll just read it to you. And of course the Buddha was usually addressing the monk's community that lived with him, but there were also lay guests who would come in the evening and sit and visit and listen. Monks. There are these three types of individuals to be found existing in the world. Which three? An individual like an inscription in rock, an individual like an inscription in soil, and an individual like an inscription in water. So we might be one of these. And sometimes we're gonna be one, sometimes the other sometimes the third, because it changes with conditions we find ourselves in and how much Dhamma we've used or been able to use, develop, cultivate, train with to help us. And how is an individual like an inscription in rock? There is the case where a certain individual is often angered and his anger stays with him a long time just as an inscription in rock is not quickly effaced by wind or water and lasts a long time. In the same way, an individual is often anchored like an inscription in rock, and his anger stays with him for a long time. And this is called an individual who is like an inscription in rock. We can reflect in our life when maybe we've experienced this, how we've gotten angry and the anger has stayed with us for a long time and we just can't shake it. We just can't break it, break it up. We can't dissolve it. We can't let it go. We can't forgive. And how painful is that? And then whoever we meet will be the object. were very, very likely to project that anger outwardly instead of doing what the Buddha did to that big elephant, Nalagiri, the mad elephant, that through projecting that stream of metta, very powerful, from an enlightened, from a Buddha, no less, on a lucky elephant. And then it just knelt down. Pay homage to the Buddha. So if we don't show anger, if we don't retort and retaliate in the same way that we're being treated, that doesn't mean that the person who's upset with us is going to be like Malagiri, bow down, thank like us. They might get more angry. But what we are doing is we're doing what the Buddha did when the Brahmin came to him and scolded and abused him and the Buddha just sat and just peacefully listened. The uh, Brahmin was shocked. How come? How can you not upset? I've said such nasty things and you, you're so radiant. The Buddha points out about the food, offering the food to the guests, and if they don't eat, it belongs to him. So then, if we don't retaliate, the anger belongs to the person who's delivering it. It's like you don't accept the post when the mailman brings it. We always accept the post when our mailman shows up, and then he always gets a cookie or something, and he's very happy. So we always receive the packages. But we don't have to receive what people give us. But we can say thank you. Thank you so much. And then they will be shocked that we said thank you. At least we can be polite. And at least we can try to to deliver polite words without a sarcastic tone. Well, thanks a lot. Because that's Obviously we're upset. But to disempower that energy, we have to be very courageous and wise. We have to stand our ground in a good way. It's like when you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean and there's a hurricane blowing. Been there, done that. And you batten down the sails. You tighten everything up and you just hold on and pray. Like an inscription in soil. There is the case where a certain individual is often angered, but his anger doesn't stay with him for a long time. Just as an inscription in soil is quickly effaced by wind or water and doesn't last a long time, in the same way, a certain individual is often angered, but his anger doesn't stay with him for a long time. This is called an individual, like an inscription in soil. Have you ever, as a kid, or as an adult even, gone down to the beach and drawn letters in the sand, and then the tide comes and quickly washes them away? built sand castles, and then a wave comes and just washes it away, the soil is much more forgiving. So a person who is like an inscription in soil, when they're angry, they're a little more forgiving. They get upset, they get irritated and agitated, and they might even grumble, or growl, or make a face, but then pretty soon they just drop it or say, okay you know, we give in, try to make amends, try to pacify. And we can think back and remember if we've been able to do that. That's like an inscription in soil. Anger doesn't stay for a long time. And how is an individual like an inscription in water. And this is the best one. This is the one we hope, we we try, we train, we experiment, we give it a chance. Give peace a chance. And how is an individual like an inscription in water? There is the case where a certain individual was spoken to roughly, spoken to harshly, spoken to in an unpleasing way, is nevertheless congenial, companionable, and courteous. Just as an inscription in water immediately disappears and does not last a long time. It doesn't hardly last for an instant. In the same way, a certain individual, when spoken to roughly, spoken to harshly, spoken to in an unpleasing way, is nevertheless congenial, companionable, and courteous. This is called an individual like an inscription in water. Companionable, courteous, and his anger does not last for a long time. Because he's like an inscription in water, It just washes it away. This is the power of water. It's a a wonderful element. Of course, we wash our hands, we bathe, we wash dishes, clothes. Water is a cleansing agent. It's also a binding agent, because it melds things together. It unites. You know, when you soak things in water, they all get soaked together even the the dirtiest thing is washed with the cleanest thing, they both come out looking clean. And so, here, both sides benefit. The person who expressed anger and the person who received it, if there's kindness and if there's forgiveness, then immediately it's resolved. Immediately some kind of reconciliation can happen. And We we can get into conflicts over the most foolish things, over innuendos in speech, or mild gestures of dissatisfaction. People can get insulted, take it the wrong way. Look at email communications, how easily we misunderstand words that are fixed, that we can't, we don't hear the tone in which they're spoken we can easily jump to conclusions and get into a a fit. But then, if we pause and think, well, it's an email, maybe I'm misunderstanding, then very quickly our temper will dissipate and we'll see the goodness and remember all the good qualities of that person and strive to reconcile in the heart and not hold that then we are like an inscription in water. Our behavior is commendable. We're bringing friendliness, kindness, goodness, lovingness. This is the path, is to quickly let go that that which feels painful, unjust, unfair, whatever it is, however it, it might Appear. It's just an appearance, it's just a moment. What what kind of dhamma can we bring to that? Well, forgiveness, kindness, compassion? Again, always remembering that we are the owners of our kama and everyone else is the same. We're all striving or struggling or inclining towards the best, the highest not to remain at at the lower levels of human interaction. We want to rise above worldly conflicts and misunderstandings and spread more peace and non-conflict in this world. So we have to quickly disarm the ammunition that has been laid down over lifetimes in the heart. We have to finally give it up giving it up. So, there are four ways that we can give up these unwholesome ways of being, ways of speaking, ways of thinking. And how do we give up unwholesome action and speech? We try to be more like the water element, which is, uh, easily washes things away. And we practice metta-karuna, loving kindness and compassion. And of course, the uh, rejoicing and developing equanimity within us. But specifically, the, the variations are patini-saga, which is relinquishing Relinquishing means that we throw away. It's not throwing, but it's a form of giving up, which is really not owning. And it's very, it's a wise, this is a quite a developed way of giving up. In the Anapanasati Sutta, it's one of the final stages of, it's almost like relinquishing the world, when we can do that because it's the forerunner and the precursor of developing the mind and our ability to know the mind so that it's prepared to receive the the highest knowledge, the highest fruit of this path. To fulfill our aspiration for awakening, we need to be able to, to relinquish that which is unwholesome and burdens the heart and it brings poor karmic results for us. We're trying to give that up because this is a life and a path, a work of purifying of purification which can bring the sweetest fruit the culmination of the path. So why would we risk losing that? So This is a, a kind of giving up that comes through really highly evolved wisdom. And those of us that come to practice in this way, there must be quite a bit of wisdom there, just to be here and do this kind of work in these conditions. How many people in the world sign up to do this? It's quite rare. There are six billion people six and a half, I don't know, in the world. So we're on the mountain. We're in the circle, in the sphere, in the field of merit that is close to the Buddha, close to the Dhamma, close to the Sangha. Now this is a cause for us to rejoice. The second kind of giving up is, it's called muti, which means freedom. It's a bit like getting out of jail. So you get the key, so you know how to open the door, and it's a way of telling ourselves in in a situation where we might feel deprived or something is unjustifiable. It's not right, but morally we haven't done anything wrong. We're we're blameless. So there's a blameless quality. We give up and we we know that it's okay. We feel content with things just as they are, again reflecting on karma. Uh, We let things be. We're content with the outcome. And by doing that, it's as if we freed ourselves from the prison of being angry at conditions, angry at life, upset with other beings, wanting revenge, wanting to protest and burn a flag or something like that. What misguided ways of doing things that would be? If there are wrongs in the world, and we want to point them out, there are forms for this, and we can do that in ways that are not fueled by anger are fueled by unwholesome speech. But to articulate our needs, and to articulate a right way of doing things to those who are not prepared to listen, would also be misguided, or at the wrong time. Even if what we're saying is true, but if people can't listen, then we should free our minds from the prison of those views that make us believe we can change this. And just be patient. Practice contentment for now. And see how karma unfolds. Maybe there will be an opportunity at a later time to say our peace and say it with peace. And then there's chaga which is a kind of charity, a way of giving, where we we give up or we give away. It's a generosity. And we give things, and we must not give with remorse. We must never regret that we've given. Oh, I gave her that nice sweater, and she's not being very kind to me. Or we give a gift, but that person then isn't generous to us and we resent it. Once we give something, and we've given it up, and it's, it, it's a generous act, then we must try never to regret that, and not be remorseful. But we give it as if it's really gone, and savor the good intention behind it that was meant to be charitable, To develop generosity, that's the hallmark. It's the, the dawn of the Eightfold Noble Path is Donna, dawn. It's spelled differently. Even before dawn, there's light in the sky that heralds the dawn. You know that dawn is coming. Some of the birds already are celebrating and singing, Oh, the daylight will come. The night has ended. So charitable gift is like turning a light on in your heart, because from that, virtuous conduct is established through giving. It's the first inkling of practicing virtue, that you can give, and you give open-handedly, and you don't give something used, not used, not liked, something you actually want to get rid of. That's not a gift measure your gift, that it is really a gift. You're actually giving up something that you do like because of appreciation of that person. And if you give them something shoddy, then they'll know you've, you've not really given them a gift. So of course they won't be grateful. And, and they'll thank you in a sarcastic way, maybe, and then you'll get angry. <laughs> We have to be very careful and mindful of what gestures we make because all body language is communication. And as noble students and disciples of the Buddha, we want to give in a way that upgrades our nobility. We're stepping up to the plate, to the the higher practice that the Buddha is do it like this, so try it. What will it feel like? That should bring joy in the heart, to be a source of gladness, to be able to give to someone that you don't even like. Because they, too, want to receive a gift. And they might be surprised and think, well, why, why is she, or why is he giving me this gift? And then it's not a bribe. It's not. It's not because you want them to be nice to you. It's truly, there's just no expectation. It's just because you know the joy of giving. And it's more difficult, like practicing metta to someone, practicing loving kindness to someone who's been really unpleasant, maybe more difficult. That's a higher practice for us. And if we can bring that up in the heart, then we will have overcome um, some obstacles to our own freedom. Freedom from anger, freedom from pain, freedom from holding a grudge, freedom from memories that cause us to grimace and get upset. We want to clear the slate. We want to reformat our disk. Truly, through virtue. And virtue is like a key to the path of truth. It does open the door more and more. It's, we're purifying ourselves through body, speech, and mind. So, verily, verily, we develop virtue. Truthfully, truthfully. Leaning on truth, and such is one of the Parmes. Leaning on truth helps us lean towards Nibbana. So chaga is the third way of giving. And then the fourth way is analayom. This is a very beautiful word, analayom. It means emptiness, empty. So if we're empty of greed, it's a, a way of giving that is empty of greed. It's so balanced that there's no one who gives and there's no one res- who receives. It's just a natural process that we share. We cannot hold anything back. We give without holding back. We give from a place of fullness of heart. It's an uplifted, it's a sublime form of generosity. And it's also, it has within it, the relinquishment, but there's no need to abandon because there's an emptiness within us, an emptiness that is full of the Dhamma. The Buddha is resting within us day in and day out. We rejoice to be able to share what we have. It's rare for this. It takes quite a lot of maturity and depth. And depth going down to the the noble depths, it's dwelling with the intrinsic emptiness of the Dhamma without plundering its mystery with our concepts. So this is how we practice anaya. And the image is of a bird sitting on the branch of a tree, high up in the forest little bird, and it has its claws on the tree branch. But it's not gripping the tree. It's just perfectly balanced there. And if a great wind comes, it knows that it can hold a little tighter. But otherwise, it's perfectly poised. And it it receives the four elements in space. It receives the sounds of the forest the movements of the tree, and it just balances there perfectly in the air at a height. So this is the practice of the heights of the path. We have more balance, more equanimity. We're able to receive whatever is given to us without fear, without anger, without worry. There is nothing, there is no inscription at all, we are empty because We're not holding anything, and we have, we own nothing, so naturally whatever we have is available for other people, it's available to share. Others might think we're poor, but we're actually rich, because we have no need to own anything. My teacher in India was like that, which is why When I went in that time to ask the questions, and I was so struck by the peace in his presence, that I was speechless. He was so empty. There was such a peace. It was like thunder in my heart, beautiful thunder, very clarifying. Those are four ways of giving giving up I thought I would end with this example a man is walking on the beach and he sees a child throwing starfish back into the sea and the man asked the child what are you doing he says what are you doing and the child says I'm throwing the starfish back in the sea and he takes the starfish and throws it back And the man says, well, that won't make any difference. And the child said, it'll make a difference to this one. So we must always think that in the moment when whatever we're experiencing is excruciating, and we get angry because we feel like, why is this happening to me? Why is my best friend sick and dying of cancer? at such a young age. Why did my mother die when she was so young? This is excruciating. But everything that we receive in life is a gift. And if we can receive the gift of that, it's it's like the child throwing the starfish back in the sea. It will make a difference to us, because if we keep Putting ourselves back into the sea, crossing the sea as if we can swim to the other shore, into the sea of Dhamma. It will make a difference to us if we could just try that instead of wearing our grief, wearing our anger, and sharing that. We have to Learn that by reflecting more on the cosmic law of karma, and the mystery of how that law works, and knowing that we came here to do a spiritual work, not just to get gratification from worldly pleasures and experiences. We came here to cleanse the heart and realize the truth, and everything that we receive is due to karmic causes and conditions. And so if we put ourselves back into the sea to swim farther and practice more, we will reach the other shore, and we will truly understand the meaning of this journey. And it will be for our benefit. It's a beautiful thing, even The greatest pains, they may seem too cruel, too cruel. But if we can bear them, then from that, there will be some teaching that comes from that. We have to trust so much. So, do the best we can, while we have a chance, and keep trying out what the Buddha taught rather than thinking you know better. Because that doesn't work. We can be humble and polish the back of the Buddha. Putting gold leaf on the Buddha's statues, it's the sign of merit. And most people come and put it on the front so everyone can see the merit they've made. But there was someone who was putting the gold leaf on the back of the Buddha where no one could see. And that was a, an act of humility. We want people to tell us that we're good, you're a good not or whatever. <laughs> but what if nobody said anything but we ourselves know how we are. We know that we're trying our very best. We know that we're working hard, making an effort, and practicing well, and that we we intend well, and we're learning. We give ourselves a chance, we know that, and we can feel the goodness of that. And even if people don't appreciate it, it doesn't matter. Karma takes its course. When I left New Zealand, I lived in very beautiful conditions, on the ocean, in a little dwelling, alone, with supporters coming and feeding me, pretty much. It got better in the end. In fact, it got so good, I started to wonder, these conditions are so very good for my practice, but something was missing. I was quite isolated, and I felt like there was more that I could do, but I was scared. I thought, there's something wrong with me, I'm just being critical, critical mind, restless mind, but this kept nagging me for months. And finally, I started asking for a sign. I say to my teacher in my heart, I don't know what to do anymore. Should I stay or should I go? And I was really hoping there would be no sign, because I think inside I knew that I had to go. But I didn't want to do it, because I have no system to support me. and where would I go, and how would I get there, and all the rest of it. It was sunset, and there were shadows on the beach already, but you could still see the turquoise power shining a little bit in the sand from time to time. And usually on that beach, because the waves were very powerful, the power shells would break. They would come broken, big ones. And I would collect them and make a little garden on my steps, leading up to my kuti. So I saw this turquoise, shiny, in the shadows of the ebbing sun. And I thought, power. I couldn't see where it was. I would just reach down and pick up a bunch of sand and think, well, I'll get it, because it's probably a big piece. And in my hand was this tiniest, tiniest little power shell I'd ever seen. And it was whole. It was unbroken. And I thought, that is a miracle. How could that happen? How could I even find it? The sand was dark. And how could it shine enough for me to even find it? And then it's not broken. It's still, it's in one piece. And then it hit me. That's me. Not a starfish. That's me. I'm going to throw myself back into the ocean, like this shell, and I'm going to land in one piece. I went back to my kuti and I started packing. started giving, I'll give this to so-and-so, and this to so-and-so. And within three or four months, I was gone. It was the sign to go, to give back, to come back to Canada, eventually, and give back. I have great joy that the little shell brought me here. I still have it. And I could be with all of you. Thank you for listening.